Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to you, At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. <coughs> so Lent is a season for being tested. So let me begin by talking a little bit about tests. For most of my life, dating back to my college years, I have had a recurring dream, a nightmare, really, that basically goes like this. I bolt upright out of bed, suddenly realizing that my alarm clock has not gone off as it should have. Disoriented from sleep, I struggle to open my eyes to make out the time on the clock. I see that I am hopelessly late. Panicking, I stagger out of bed, throw on some clothes, and head out the door. I try to run, but my legs feel like I'm wading through sludge. I can't seem to get my body to move quickly enough. It's as if I'm running in slow motion. I eventually make it across the campus quad to the history building. Then I realize that I have forgotten in which room the test is being given. I ask everyone I meet for directions, but no one seems to know the answer. Finally, I find the room. Everyone else is already hard at work on the exam. As I look at the first question, I am horrified to see that it is in a language I do not recognize. <laughs> Even though I have no idea what the question is asking, I decide to just start writing everything I remember about the class, hoping that some of what I say may be in the ballpark and will fall upon merciful ears. But then, each time I put pencil to paper, the graphite tip keeps breaking off on the page. So while everyone else is finishing their test, I can't even get the pencil to write. The ticking of the clock on the classroom wall grows louder and more insistent, and then I wake up. Now, if you've had a dream like this one, or something like it, you're not alone. Psychologists say that this type of dream, a dream of failing a test, or not being prepared for a test, 
or being late for a test or some variation on this theme is one of the most common dreams people experience. Now in my work as a chaplain to Harvard students who know a thing or two about taking tests, I used to fairly often deal with students who had nightmares of this sort and the underlying anxieties that prompt them. Dreams of this kind are so common because they reflect the basic truth about the human condition. Human beings fear failure. We fear being judged unworthy. To one degree or another, we are all insecure about our abilities, about our relationships, about whether we will be accepted. We worry that everyone else has what it takes, but that we don't, and that we will be left behind, alone and unloved. This fear of failure, of inadequacy, can be one of the most debilitating in all of human experience. The fear has deep roots in the biblical narrative, too, as we just heard from our first lesson from Exodus. When Moses, the greatest prophet in all of the Hebrew scriptures, first encounters the mysterious power of the burning bush, he is overcome by fear and not just fear for his safety in the presence of God's overwhelming being. No, what Moses really fears, we discover, is that God is choosing him for leadership and that he, Moses, may not be up to the task. I can hear the self-doubt in his quivering voice as Moses says to God in verse 11, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. In his heart, Moses worries that the Hebrew people will not listen to him. A young man who grew up as an adopted child in Pharaoh's court, who has no real standing in the community, and whose one claim to fame is that he is an outlaw for having murdered an Egyptian in a fist fight. And secretly, as we later learn, Moses is also acutely self-conscious of his own limitations, most notice, noticeably a speech impediment with which he was born, his stuttering, his inability to speak with precision and clarity. What kind of a prophet is barely able to talk like us? Moses is afraid of his own inadequacies. But notice what God does in the text. God does not abandon Moses to his fear. Instead, God draws near, saying these crucial words, I will be with you. God reaches out and invites Moses to trust him. And herein lies the key, the key to unlocking fear, the key to seeing through the risk of failure. In a word, it is to acknowledge our dependence upon God and to trust that he will carry us through our fears. Through, not around, our fears. The true power of the story lies not so much in the fiery spectacle of the burning bush as it does in the continuing promise 
of God's saving mercy and Moses' willingness to place his trust in that promise. Now, this emphatically does not mean that the road ahead through the wilderness will be easy or that God always ensures good outcomes along the way, as Christ's own journey to Golgotha demonstrates with painful clarity a faithful life is not one free of suffering and challenge, or even death. We will inevitably be tested. Sometimes we pass life's tests, sometimes we fail. Sometimes the doctors find a cure for the disease, sometimes they don't. What matters, it turns out, is not whether we succeed or fail. What matters is how faithfully we endure the trial. As I tried to tell my Harvard students when their anxieties started to run high, God does not expect us to be perfect. He merely expects us to be faithful. For God works through our failures as much as he works through our successes. Indeed, maybe more so. To trust in God is to know that neither our successes nor our failures define us. What defines us, what gives us our worth and dignity, is the steadfast love God in Christ shows for us in both the triumphs and the disappointments. Now, I know I'm a, with a bunch of Lutherans today, but one of my favorite prayers is from the Book of Common Prayer. We call it the prayer of general thanksgiving. And I want to just read two sentences from it. We thank you, God, for setting us at tasks which demand our best efforts and for leading us to accomplishments which satisfy and delight us. And we thank you also for those disappointments and failures that lead us to acknowledge our dependence on you alone. I think too often we don't thank God for our failures and our disappointments, recognizing that there is always a redeeming grace in them. The eyes of faith see that the tests of life are less a measure of our worth than they are occasions for grace, opportunities for God to help us to grow in maturity and fruitfulness. This insight, too, is at the heart of Jesus' parable of the withering fig tree. Left to its own devices, the fig tree is barren and will remain so. But when it allows the gardener to care for it, to till its soil and fertilize its roots, it suddenly has the potential for fruitfulness. The fig tree's only hope is to acknowledge its dependence on the loving care of a gardener with strong and wise hands and a little bit of manure. So there you have it. An orphaned outlaw Moses survives the test of prophetic leadership because he turns to and trusts in a God who promises, I will be with you. 
and a withering fig tree is tested and given the promise of life by turning to and trusting in a merciful gardener, whose saving presence, incidentally, we will meet again on Easter morning with Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. Now, I confess that I still have the nightmare from time to time, the nightmare about failing the history test. But now, when I awaken from it, I'm able to laugh, knowing that I have nothing to fear so long as I turn to and trust in the one who sent his own very own son to carry me. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.